Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Well, let's continue our sermon series today. You guys excited? I'm excited about this sermon series. This sermon series, I think, is so good. And that's not just because I'm getting the opportunity to teach it, but as I study it, I'm getting really, really blessed. So if you weren't here last week or you haven't had the opportunity uh, to watch the YouTubes, I want you to know it is there and available. Last week, what we did was we talked about how not to pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, when the disciples we're learning from Jesus about how to pray. The first thing that Jesus did in his instruction was to share with them how not to pray. He said, here's how I don't want you praying. I don't want you to pray like the religious hypocrites. Meaning your motivation for prayer is not to capture the attention of men. Your motivation for prayer is to capture the attention of God. So don't be a hypocrite whenever you pray. Pray to God, for God, not kinda to God, but for your audience. Don't do that, all right? And then he said, I also don't like pagan praying. What is pagan praying? Pagan praying is paying, praying repetitiously as some sort of magical incantation to harness the power of omnipotence to protect your own self-interest. That's my definition of it. Uh, that's pagan praying. We, as Christians, we don't pray like pagans do because we're not saying the same thing over and over in the mirror as a mantra, hoping that somehow our incantation changes our situation. We pray to a person who is real and relational and ready to respond because he loves us. I went on to talk about a, two other types of prayer that God does not accept, which is prideful praying, Whenever we pray, it's not our opportunity to tell God how awesome we've been. We come into the place of prayer and we tell God how awesome he is, right? And we also don't pray self-centered prayers, meaning we don't pray selfish prayers. It's not all about me, but it is about God and it's about us and it's about God's will. And that's how I want to participate with the spirit in prayer. So Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he said, if you want to learn to pray, the first thing I'm going to need to teach you is you need to unlearn some stuff. So this week, I want to talk a little bit about how to pray. Now, I told you this last week, and I just think it is the coolest quote. It was uh, Wigglesworth. He said, I would rather teach 10 men to pray than one man to preach. Isn't that good? Did I quote it right? Let me get a little drink of water. I'm in the sauce. Lost in the sauce today. Worship was too good. I would rather teach. Y'all help me preach this 1030. Man to pray than 10 men to preach. <laughs> That's the quote. That's a quote. That's a quote. Good quote, Smith Wigglesworth. Um, so we get our whole understanding of this sermon series from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew 6. Quickly, I am going to quote accurately uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 by looking at the screen. It says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
That's the heart cry of this series. Listen, in the same way that Jesus died for those disciples back then, he died for us here today. And in the same way that Jesus taught those disciples to pray back then, Jesus will teach you to pray today. So this is the heart cry of the series. I don't know how to pray in the way that you love, but I know, what, I know that you have prayers that you love to hear. And it's not about them being long, church. Some of the most powerful prayers in Scripture are extremely short. Some of the most powerful sermons in Scripture are extremely short. Even if you look at Jesus' first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One point, very quick. He was not long-winded when he started. But then you get to Matthew chapter 5, and that's like a six-hour sermon. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going next. Go to Matthew 6, verse 5. Here's what it says. Pray then like this. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, amen and amen. So the title of this message today, church, is when you pray, do this first. All right, when you pray, do this first. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna examine the protocol of prayer and you have to know that it's not quotations that God wants you to recite. What Jesus is doing is giving us impartable principles. So he's not saying recite my words verbatim, although we do that and that blesses us, but he is imparting principles for our life of prayer. We are understanding by listening to the tutelage of Jesus, the type of praying that God accepts and responds to. Now, I don't wanna waste any of your time and I don't wanna waste any of my time in prayer. I wanna pray effectual prayers. How about you? Like when I, get in, when I get into the secret place, I, I, I don't wanna you know, waste time. I just want my prayers to strike the mark. And one of the things you have to know is that your prayers can strike the mark. You can be a dynamic prayer warrior. Somebody may have told you at some point in time, there's prayer warriors out there, but those guys were born that way. They're spiritual prodigies. They're left brain poets. So they're naturally more in tune. No, it does not matter your inclination or your personality type. You can be amazing at prayer if you will look at prayer properly. So we can't see prayer as some innate ability as though we either have it or we don't. And that was the result of God's selection at our birth. No, we have to look at prayer as a skill. Prayer is a skill, and I can get better at anything I'll give myself to. Now, some get better than others with less time, and so I'm not saying that, you know, personality and natural strengths don't matter, but what I am saying is if you will practice the scales every day, eventually you will be able to do a piano recital. And I want to say, am I right, Daniel? Close. Daniel's a, uh, he is a savant and he can play the keys really well. So I wanted to check with him on the accuracy of my statements. Didn't want to do another misquotation. But if you will give yourself to the school of prayer, you will become a white, hot, dynamic prayer warrior that hell fears. 
And that's the kind of prayer warrior I want to be. I don't want to pray so well that people put me on the YouTubes and, you know, I get famous here on earth. I want to pray so well that I'm famous in hell. I want to pray so well that, like, demons begin to tremble when I get out of bed in the morning like, our Father. You know, principalities start to tremble. Oh, no, not the Jesus prayer. Oh, yeah, you know what's coming for you. That's the type of prayer warrior I want to be. Anybody else in the room? So I, I want you to know you can be awesome at prayer. You can be awesome at prayer, but you have to see it as a skill. You can't see it as some innate ability. And one of the things about prayer is that prayer actually tells on us, meaning it reveals what we actually believe about God. The frequency of our praying actually communicates how we see God. If I pray all the time, then what is the theological confession that I am making? If I pray often, I'm saying God's present, God's here, God's ready, God's available, God's ready to respond, God's moving, God's powerful. He is the help. He is the very present help in the time of need. I am praying now because I know he is moving. And on the other hand, if I don't pray as a believer, what type of theological confession have I just made? I believe that God is real, but I don't think that God listens. So therefore, I don't pray. I believe that God is real, but I don't think he's very present. Therefore, I don't pray. I believe that God is real, but actually deep down, I don't believe that he's good. So therefore, I don't pray. I think one of the reasons why Christians become prayerless is because they don't trust God. They don't trust God. And because we don't trust God, we withhold our praying from him because we're so fearful that when we enter into his presence, he's going to speak to us about something we don't want to hear. I'm afraid to pray. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, publicly, I'm going to come to church and be like, I worship him in glorious array. You know, a little bit of that Matthew 6. Oh, I see your hypocritical praying over there. That, that analogy went south fast. Um, but the type of praying that says, God, I trust you. God, I believe that you're present. Not only do I believe you're real, but I believe you're here. I believe that you're willing to respond. Is the type of praying that Jesus articulates in Matthew 6 whenever he says, pray then in this way. He starts by saying, our Father. You see, the opening of the prayer is actually an identity statement about myself. You're approaching God knowing this is who I am. You're my dad. And I'm your son. And you love me. And you're good. Therefore, the way I approach you is different. You with me? Uh, I know when I was a kid, I remember my dad, he, he's here this morning. My parents are here this morning. And he used to work in an office. And when he worked in that office, I did not care who his secretary was. When I was ready to go see my dad, I walked right past that secretary. I don't care if he's in an appointment. I am his son. He wants to see me. Don't even matter who he's talking to. He likes me more. You know what I mean? Like, what's up, pops? You know, he's a pastor. He's in some important counseling session. So what y'all talking about? I'm like nine years old. No, I'm, we're going to sort you out. We're going to sort you out, brother Bob. 
The, the way that you approach your father is different than you approach a stranger. Am I right? Because you step in knowing I've got refrigerator privileges. Oh, I ain't even got to ask. If I want a bowl of cereal, it's 11 p.m. I might wake you up as I pour myself a big bowl of can uh, cinnamon toast crunch. But I'm home. So I do what I want. Now, I'm not saying approaching God flippantly. That's not what I'm saying, because one of the things you have to remember when you come into the place of prayer is who the creator is and who the creation is. Prayer is not a conversation between equals. I'm not saying we approach God flippantly. I'm saying we approach God confidently. Because we're saying, you're my dad. And because of the blood of your son, I'm accepted. It's not because of my righteousness that you let me through. It's because of the blood of Jesus. Therefore, I can approach you with confidence knowing I have access. Not because I'm awesome, but because I'm under grace. I have accepted the redeeming work of Christ. And now I've been adopted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm your kid. Hey, Father. Our Father. You know, one of the amazing things about our Father is that it removes self-centeredness from it in the first word. Because Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't say, my dad. Mm-mm. Our Father. Now, this prayer is obviously extremely relational because it starts with our Father. But it's not just about your relationship with God all by yourself. It's about your relationship with God as well as our relationship with God. And so when I come into that place of prayer, I'm not so self-consumed that I cannot make a petition for anybody else other than myself. Because when I see the Father rightly, I will recognize that he loves me with an everlasting love, but I'm not the only person that he loves. And this is one of the, I have a bone to pick with people, particularly people like me, all right? I want to do the Apostle Paul thing and like, I'm the center of all sinners in my illustration because I'm going to pick on charismatic Pentecostals because that's most of us in the room. What I'm confused by is that we make everything all about our own encounter, and so we don't really pray our Father when we come to church. We pray my encounter. I don't care about anybody else. I just care about being spiritually stimulated. So I hope that the word is entertaining because I'm here for my enjoyment. And here's what I know about the Father. If Jesus told us, and he's right about it, that he... He and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then we know that when we pray to God, the character of Jesus is an expression of who God is. Therefore, when we pray to God, we can relate to him knowing that he is just as good as Jesus is. And he, he loves me with an everlasting love, but he doesn't just love me. So what the Lord's Prayer does is it helps us to detach and detox from self-centeredness in, the, in our relationship with the Lord, where we make Christianity all about our next encounter. Here's what's confusing to me, is that I'm literally processing this out loud. So it, this is not prepared, it's not in my notes, I have things to go to, but I'm not there yet. And I was just thinking about this, is that 
the closer I get to God, the more I recognize his heart for humanity. The, the, the more encounters that I have with God, then I'm not only sharing my broken heart with him, but he begins to share his broken heart with me. This is why I love to say that evangelism is not a personality problem. It's actually an intimacy deficiency. Because the closer I am to him, the more I recognize his heart for humanity. Therefore, I'm compelled by the spirit. Not that I'm called, but I'm caused. I'm not called to preach the gospel. I'm caused to preach the gospel. I'm close to the heart of the father. I recognize the brokenness as he looks out over humanity at people, creations that he wants to pray our Father, but cannot because they've yet to accept Jesus and be redeemed by His blood and by the spirit of adoption become sons of His. Do we believe this? This is the thing. When we get caught up in that whole like charismatic pattern, we don't even care about any of that, which makes me question how close we actually are to the heart of the Father in our worship if we don't care about people. Because some of the people who confess to be the closest to God are some of the people who could care less about other people. So it's confusing to me because I'm wondering, is your connection more to a person or to a spirit or to a substance, or is your connection really just to a style? We're the intimates. We, I'm talking to me, I'm preaching to me. I'm not, I'm not yelling at you, all right? I'm in this thing with you. I'm processing this. We're those, we're those charismatic, Lord, we love you. We're so connected. Encounter me. I could care less about people. This is not going over very well. I can tell it's a quiet. It, it's so important, church, that the pattern of the Lord's prayer be infectious for our spirits as we seek God in such a way that he longs to be sought is that I wouldn't come to church just for me, but I would actually come to church for we. I know this is is hard to digest (laughs) because this does not fit the model. It just does not fit the consumeristic model that tells us that church is really just another buffet. You can go sample from whatever church that you, you know what I really like? I like? I like Monday nights at Sizzler because that's when they put the sirloin out. And then on Friday, you hear me, Colton? I go to Ryan's, because the rolls slap. Listen, I, I, look, if you didn't grow up going to Ryan's, you don't know what I'm talking about, but that soft serve machine, boy, banging. But that's the, that's the way that we, but that's the way that we interact with church. I, I like, I've run out of time, like, ranting, but it's so important, people of God, that we understand that God the Father's heart for us is that we not just approach him for me, but that we approach him for we. One of the things that you don't recognize when you read it the first time is how many petitions that the Lord's prayer possesses. So in the Lord's prayer, you're going to notice three petitions that go to God for God, and then you'll notice another three petitions that go to God for man. And none of them are self-centered, none of them are prideful, none of them are paganistic, and none of them are hypocritical. So it's so important that we get this, that we're coming to God and we're not saying, all I care about is me, just bless me. Who cares about anybody else? Do we not do that? I need somebody to just be like, yeah, I do that. Yeah, man, you're right, bro. I, I've been there. I've done it. Me too. That's why I'm telling you. I'm not telling you. I'm telling all myself. God, I don't care what you do. Just bless me today. 
the Lord's Prayer breaks us out of that. And here's what I want you to know, is that the Lord's Prayer, when you pray and you say, Dad, that's a privilege that you have because you're a Christian. Not because you're a creation. The only people allowed to pray to God as dad are Christians. And I know, listen, I know that this kind of flies in the face of our humanistic culture because humanism would tell us that we are all God's children because we are God's creation. But that's actually not biblical. If you search all throughout the scripture, you will never see the universal fatherhood of God for all of creation. You will only see the fatherhood of God for redemption. Jesus never preached the universal brotherhood of humanity. What Jesus preached was the universal neighborhood of humanity. So where the Pharisees got it wrong, they were like, we're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to fast, we're going to be holy, we're going to be, we're going to get the wardrobe and we're going to be in public and we're going to, we're going to do our thing and, and, and God, we know you, you, you know, you, you are our father. And see, here's what's crazy about the Hebrew scriptures is that there are prophetic passages where prophets would declare that God was the father but not to you as an individual, to the nation. So whenever Jesus shows up and he's like, been talking to dad, they're like, stone him. He's elevating himself as an equal with God. He's declaring that he is a son. Can you believe this man? All of the religious elites, despite how holy they may have seemed, never referred to themselves as sons. And now you've got this guy, the carpenter's son from Nazareth, showing up trying to lecture us and say he is a son of God? Jesus said, yep, and I'm going to do you one better. See all these dudes, fishermen, basic, just regular, routine, everyday people. Probably had some baristas in there and some lawyers in there and some accountants in there and some tax accountants, people you don't like, (laughs) you know. He had some of them people in there, and he was like, hey, I know y'all asked me to help you pray. I'm going to help you, all right? So here's how you start. Start like this. Our Father. You know how irate that made religious people? You can't do that. You can't tell these guys that they can call God Dad. But he said, no, they can. Because if they will accept my redeeming work and come under the power of my grace, then God the Father will receive them as sons. And that's why whenever Paul began to talk about what the Holy Spirit accomplishes, he says in chapter eight, by way of the Spirit, we are able to cry, Abba, Father. So not everybody has this privilege and that's what you have to understand that only Christians can pray and say to God, you're our Father. So the Pharisees, they got it wrong because they said, oh, well, God wants us to love our brother and we're not gonna love anybody else. We're gonna be loving our brother only. So unless they're Pharisees, we're not loving them. And then Jesus said, no, 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 you're not getting it. Yeah, it is true that only the redeemed are brothers, but it is not true that only the redeemed get your love. 
He said, what you're missing is, is not the brotherhood, you're missing the neighborhood because you're claiming to love your brother who you can see, but you don't at all. In fact, you overlook the people who've been thrown into the ditch. Let me tell you a parable about the great Samaritan. Who then is my neighbor? So the Pharisees, they said, I only have to love my brother, but that's not true. God says you have to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And that's what the Lord's prayer gives us grace to remember as we come in before the Father with gratitude saying, you're my dad. And it's not just because you created me, but it's because Jesus died for me. And I accepted what he did on the cross. And even though I'm not deserving of it, and I was never worth dying for because, man, you saw my life, God. It was a train wreck. And I was really some kind of tramp out here in these streets. But because of what you have done, I can come before the throne of grace boldly with confidence, knowing that I will be received in my time of need because it ain't about my past. It ain't about what I did. But here's what Jesus did so I can come in and I can say, yes. Hey, Dad, who let you in? Secretary say you could come in here. The blood of Jesus said I could come in here. I plead the blood. Let's stand. Uh, I had a lot more, but I just I didn't have a lot of time. I really wanted to get into uh, our Father who is in heaven. That's crazy. How many go, guys? No, heaven is not just a, It's not. It's not as much as a different place as it is a different plane. So just because he's there doesn't mean he's not accessible. Think about the omnipotence of the God that you serve and let that impress you. What? He exists outside of time? He listens to me? That's pretty good. What do you guys think? Everybody's like, man, I'm hot, man. Let me go. Okay. I pray in Jesus' name that you would be blessed in your prayer life this week. I pray that you would go deeper in your prayer life. And I pray that the Lord would set you on fire set you ablaze and make you an effectual prayer. James says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Don't stop praying. 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 Tell your neighbors. Tune in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.